text for this morning's sermon is taken from Ephesians 1 and 2. From chapter 1, we focus on the verses 20 to 23, and from chapter 2, the verses 4 to 7. So Paul is praying for our enlightenment by the Spirit, that we may understand the power of God, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he's put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And from chapter 2, verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us with Christ. He us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this past Thursday was Ascension Day. It's a day on the Christian calendar when we remember that the Lord Jesus went up into heaven. Christ went up into heaven 40 days after his resurrection from the dead. During that time, the Lord Jesus appeared to his disciples many times. He did so to explain to them why he needed to die and that he had truly risen from the dead. He showed the disciples that his death and resurrection were a fulfillment of, old, of the Old Testament scriptures. During this time, Christ also prepared them for the time when he would leave them and go up into heaven. We sometimes ask why it was necessary for Christ to leave his disciples and go back into heaven. There's two main, two main reasons for this. The first is that Christ's work on earth was done. Christ came to redeem his people, to reconcile us to God. He accomplished that by suffering and dying on the cross for our sins. He bore God's wrath against our sins that he might restore us to communion with God. The second reason why Christ went into heaven was to continue his work there. Christ's work in heaven involves both a priestly and a kingly aspect. As our great high priest, Jesus makes intercession for us. When we pray, he takes our prayers. He brings them to the Father so that God will hear and answer our prayers. Hebrews 7.25 says that he always lives to make intercession for us. As our eternal king, Christ has received all authority in heaven and on earth. Seated at God's right hand, he's been given power to rule over all that happens in this universe. He rules over all other powers and authorities in heaven and on earth. Christ also has absolute power over Satan and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He is sovereign over all kings and presidents, prime ministers and premiers, over every governing authority on earth. This morning we're going to focus on what the Apostle Paul teaches us about Christ's ascension in Ephesians 1 and 2. 
We're going to focus on the fact that God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. God did that for our benefit. He made Christ head over all for the church. We'll also see how Paul focuses on the fact that God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Here Paul applies the Bible's teachings about Christ's ascension directly to believers, showing how we share in the blessings of Christ's victory. This morning I preach to you God's word under the following theme. Christ ascended into heaven for our benefit. We'll consider what it means that God raised Christ and seated him at his right hand and how God raised us up and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. Before Christ ascended into heaven, he promised his disciples he would not leave them alone. In bodily form, as a human being, Christ would leave them. And he promised, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. That helper was the Holy Spirit. Christ promised that he would dwell in his followers and guide them into all truth. When Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says that he's always praying that they might receive this Spirit. Paul prays that God will give his people the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that they might know him better. He prays that they might be enlightened by this Spirit. Enlightenment is something that many people spend lots of time looking for, but many never seem to find it. Buddhists spend hours each day meditating, looking for enlightenment. For them, enlightenment is understanding life's mystery, which will ultimately enable them to escape life's prison. In the Western world, we went through the so-called enlightenment during the 18th century. We're in many ways still eating its poisoned fruit today. The enlightenment taught that reason is the primary source of knowledge, that God was no longer needed. Science, it was believed, would solve all our problems. There have been many great breakthroughs in science and technology since then, but they've not provided an answer to the world's problems. The Enlightenment is followed by two world wars, nuclear bombs, and a dramatic rise in terrorism. The belief that God is dead has eroded our society's morals, leading to the breakdown of marriage and family. Our society is confronted with a tsunami of alcohol and drug abuse, anxiety, depression, and hopelessness. The harder humans try to rely on their own abilities to find enlightenment, the worse things seem to get. True enlightenment requires something more than meditation or science. True enlightenment requires God's Spirit. Paul says that with God's Spirit we can know the hope to which he has called us and the inheritance that he is preparing for us. What Paul teaches is that Christ's ascension provides us with great security. Christ has won the victory over sin and Satan and death. Just as he went up into heaven, 
He has promised that one day he will take us to be with him. We have the assurance that by faith we may share an everlasting life with God in joy and in glory forevermore. Yet that's not all. When Paul prays for the Spirit to enlighten us, part of his prayer is that we may know the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe. Christ's ascension is all about God's power. By His almighty power, God caused His Son, Jesus Christ, to be raised up from the dead. It was a demonstration God has the power to raise people from the dead. For thousands of years of human history, death was the final enemy. While the Bible details how certain people were raised from the dead, they were all but temporary resurrections. All those people died again. But in raising Christ from the dead, God has shown that he has the power to defeat death. Paul continues to show forth God's almighty power in our redemption. He writes that God has seated Christ at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. By God's power, Christ has been enthroned as king. He appointed Christ as ruler over all things. He gave Christ all authority and power in heaven and on earth. Our text says that Christ has been given authority over all rule and authority, power and dominion. Please understand that this involves all human power and authority. It includes kings and rulers, presidents and prime ministers, the world's elites, the media, the technology companies, etc. But it also includes the devilish forces that work through them. In Ephesians 6, Paul makes this clear when he identifies the rulers and authorities as the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The point Paul is making is that Christ is now king over the universe. His authority over all this world's leaders and the evil forces that often work through them. I want you to stop and consider that truth for a moment, beloved. It's easy for us to be distressed by the direction of our secular society. Recently in Canada, we've seen many laws proposed and passed that destroy the foundations upon which Canada was built as a nation. A few years back, it was the so-called anti-bullying laws in schools. Of course, everyone thinks that bullying is wrong and that things done to address it are good. But these laws were introduced to promote the LGBTQ community and their agenda in schools. More recently, we've seen Bill C-6, a law which opposes conversion therapy. Now, traditionally, conversion therapy was a practice by which electric shock therapy and other such interventions were used to try to turn people away from same-sex desires. Everyone agrees that using shock therapy to change people's desires is wrong. Yet the current bill makes it illegal for a pastor or teacher or parent to talk or pray with a person struggling with their sexual or gender identity and to encourage them to make 
a godly decision about such matters. As of June 17, our euthanasia laws have been expanded to include people who are not terminally ill. And after further study, may open the door for those who are suffering solely from mental illness to receive medical assistance in dying. Many jurisdictions around the world have used the COVID-19 to curtail citizens' rights to the freedom of religion and the freedom of assembly. While you may agree or disagree with the wisdom of these decisions, the use of extraordinary measures to limit personal freedoms sets a worrying precedent. It's not since the War Measures Act was invoked in Quebec in 1970 that we've seen such a sweeping suppression of basic human rights. Today, many of the world's elites, together with the big technology companies, exercise a tremendous amount of influence. They exercise a lot of control about what kind of news gets broadcast and what, what is posted on their social media platforms. Twitter has exercised this extraordinary power in the political realm by banning Donald Trump from posting anything on its platform. Earlier this month, LifeSite News was told that one of their posts about COVID-19 went against community standards. Without any warnings, without any discussion, without any chance of appeal, LifeSite News was banished from Facebook for good. Currently, our federal government has proposed a new bill, a new law, Bill C-10, which gives the CRTC the right to regulate what citizens post on social media. This law has the potential to severely curtail our current rights to free speech. We hear about such things and we ask, what's happening in the world all around us? How can these things be? With David in Psalm 11, we cry out, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? We can easily get worried and anxious about the ungodly direction of our society. We get distressed when we see an anti-Christian mindset permeating our culture. We wonder about our freedoms to worship and to educate our children according to the Christian faith. And we ask, where is God in all of this? We wonder, is Christ truly ruling as king over this universe? Those are valid questions. As we remember Christ's ascension into heaven, it's important for us to affirm Christ's sovereignty over all of creation. Consider the testimony of Psalm 2, beloved. It speaks about how the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. The psalmist gives us a heavenly perspective on the power of people against God. The psalmist says, He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Psalm 2 ends with a warning to all kings and rulers to serve the Lord with fear, for his wrath is quickly kindled. It tells us, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Think, beloved, of what happened to mankind when the nations banded together against the Lord's command at Babel. 
the Lord confused their languages and he dispersed them throughout the earth. Think about how God humbled King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king who was ruler over the then known world. When Nebuchadnezzar boasted about his own power and might, the Lord humbled him. He made him eat grass like an ox. Think of how the Lord used Cyrus, king of the Medes and Persians, to release his people from Babylonian captivity, to allow them to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Such events show God's absolute control over human history. Psalm 11 not only asks the question, if the foundations are destroyed, what shall the righteous do? It also tells us the Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, His eyelids test the children of man. It speaks of how the Lord hates the wicked and those who love violence. It warns of the judgment He will send on them. And yet it comforts us with a message that the upright will see His face. Our text tells us that God has put all things under Christ's feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. What this tells us is that there's a special reason why God has given our risen and ascended Son dominion over the world. Christ has been given absolute power over all for the sake of his church. We often have a secular approach to history we view history from the perspective of what different rulers and nations do. But history is really about what Christ is doing. It's about how he's at work behind the scenes, spreading the gospel, bringing people to faith, causing the kingdom of God to grow and flourish. In the midst of discouragement about what's happening in the world around us, we need to remember, Christ is in charge, and he's working for the benefit of his church. This brings us to our second point, and it will see what it means that God has raised us up and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. Striking to see the parallel our text makes. Paul is praying that God may enlighten our eyes so we may see the mighty power of God at work. God worked this power in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. In a similar way, God works his mighty power in us. He raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. What God did for Christ is mirrored in our lives. Christ died for our sins. He was raised by the power of God. He was seated at God's right hand. He's been given power and dominion over all of creation. In the same way, the first verses of Ephesians 2 map out what's happened to us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Through the fall into sin, our nature became corrupt. Of ourselves, we're slaves to sin. Without God's intervention in our lives, we live according to the passions of the flesh. We live for the pleasures of this world. Without, with a total disregard for God and a, lack of true and a lack of true empathy for our neighbor. The result is, by nature we were 
children of wrath. We deserve to come under God's condemnation. Paul continues by stating, but God. That word but speaks about a mighty intervention of God in our lives. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. Here is the amazing truth of our spiritual recreation. Just as God breathed into lifeless dust to give life to Adam, so the Lord now gives new life to those who are spiritually dead. By a sovereign grace, God works spiritual transformation in us. His work of regeneration, of causing us to be born again, is as mighty and as mysterious a work as his work of creating new life. In our text, Paul writes that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What does this mean? The point the Apostle Paul is making is that we share in the victory of the Lord Jesus over sin and death. Christ rose from the dead. He sat down at the right hand of God. In the same way, by Christ's power, we are raised up to a new life. Sin's hold over us is broken. Satan's dominion, his mastery is undone. Colossians 1 verse 13 says that God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. That's great news, beloved. God has begun to save us from the power of darkness. At the cross, He struck a decisive blow against Satan. Colossians 2.15 speaks about how Christ, having disarmed the powers and authorities, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. Satan no longer holds sway over us. For as it says in 1 John 4 verse 4, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. By his Spirit, Christ has made his home in us. And through the Spirit's work, we are a new creation. Think about what that means for your daily life, beloved. Just as God's power raised Jesus up to a new life, so God's power raises us up to new life as well. We still face trials in this life. Satan and his evil spirits still tempt us. But by the Spirit's power, we are strengthened to withstand these attacks. James 4 verse 7 says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Paul writes, God is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We understand the connection between Christ's resurrection and our spiritual rebirth. But what does it mean when our text says that God seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms? The point is that just as Christ ascended into glory and sat down at the right hand of God, so will we. Our inheritance is sure. Yet our text uses the past tense, not the future. Paul says that God has already seated us in the heavenly realms 
with Christ. How can that be? The point is that our enthronement is already accomplished. Not in time, but in terms of our status. All God's children already have the status of His Son. You see, beloved, when we are converted, God takes our hearts and puts them in heaven with Christ. Colossians 3 verse 3 says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. In Philippians 3, Paul speaks about our citizenship being in heaven. It's heaven that holds our affections. It's heaven that's always pulling us upwards. It's heaven that governs our tastes on this earth. In our text, eternity has been compressed into a spiritual reality. I may still at times see myself from the perspective of being a sinner, living in a broken world, but God has so secured my eternal well-being, He allows me to see myself as belonging to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ, as being an heir to everlasting life, a possessor of the glories of heaven. Christ has shattered the power of sin and Satan. He has given us abundant life in Him. According to Ephesians 2 verse 3, we were children of wrath, and yet God promises us everlasting life. Verse 7 speaks of God showing us the immeasurable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Paul piles up the words to make a lasting impression on our hearts. Life, forgiveness, righteousness, and glory are mine because I am in Christ. All these blessings are the fruit of my union with my Savior. Beloved, it's through, Christ, it's through God's powerful work of raising us up and seating us with Christ in the heavenly places that God, that God accomplishes His work on earth. One person at a time, God is growing His kingdom. We spoke earlier about how Christ went up into heaven because His work on earth was done. Christ is now in heaven, ruling over all for the sake of His church. He sends forth His Word and Spirit, and so He powerfully works in the hearts and lives of many. So Christ continues to gather His bride to Himself. There's a lot going on in society all around us. At times it seems as if various rulers and governments, the world elites and the media, and the big tech companies, they're all arrayed against the Christian faith. We know from the Bible that as the end approaches, Satan's power will be manifest on earth. Life will become more and more difficult for those who confess Christ as Savior and Lord. These things may make us anxious and stressed and worried. They may make us question Christ's lordship over this world. Yet, beloved, we profess the glorious truths of Scripture. Though Christ died, God raised him. He seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. Christ is Lord of lords and King of kings. 
He holds all of creation in his hands. He has dominion over Satan and his evil forces. Powerful people are but pawns in his hands. And beloved, though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God has raised us up with Christ. He has seated us with him in the heavenly places. Not only has God worked new life in us by his spirit, but he also assures us of our glorious inheritance. And so we see Christ's ascension is for our benefit. Christ is working for us and in us to secure our redemption. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing together. We're going to sing hymn 46.